Father Jonathan Wilson is the pastor here at St. Paul the Apostle Parish, former pastor of Blessed Sacrament in Newark, Ohio, and the son of Chuck and Joanne Wilson. He grew up in a family devoted to the Sacred Heart and has been inspired to spread this devotion to others through his priestly vocation. He will speak today on the words of the Sacred Heart and how the prayer can help you grow in your love for Jesus. I'm so excited to be here with you today and that you are here with us here at St. Paul uh, for this very special occasion. My talk is going to include a a reflection on the prayer to the Sacred Heart, which has become very familiar to to many of us. Some of you may still be uh, being introduced to this prayer. It was passed out in your packet. I'd like to begin my talk with that prayer um, and then uh, offer some reflections and, and ultimately a little meditation on this prayer. So it's in your little packet if you don't have a copy. I've got the, 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 the larger edition, which is a little easier for me to see. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. So let's pray in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O oh, most holy heart of Jesus, fountain of every blessing, I adore you, I love you, and with a lively sorrow for my sins, I offer you this poor heart of mine. Make me humble, patient, pure, and wholly obedient to your will. Grant, good Jesus, that I may live in you and for you. Protect me in the midst of danger. Comfort me in my afflictions. Give me health of body, assistance in my temporal needs, your blessing on all that I do, and the grace of a holy death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So again, I'm Father Wilson, the pastor of St. Paul, and it's such a great joy for me to welcome all of our friends who are visiting today on behalf of all of our parishioners. We're also excited to have the honor of hosting the Sacred Heart Congress, um, and to have so many friends join us today in our church, and to have this very special event held here. I want to express my gratitude to Bishop Brennan uh, for his tireless ministry. From the very beginning, he shared with us uh, that he would bring us the joy of the gospel and the splendor of truth, and we have experienced that in his ministry, and particularly during these challenging times, uh, to maintain the joy of the gospel and the splendor of the truth. I also want to express my gratitude uh, for his ministry of presence, accompanying us uh, throughout uh, our journey of faith. I want to take a moment to acknowledge my sister Emily, who will be our keynote speaker today. I'm the warm-up. Uh, and Emily has written a beautiful book, which I have read and I heartily endorse, The Secrets of the Sacred Heart. Uh, this book, for me, as I read it, uh, it occurred to me, this is really 12 holy hours, 12 opportunities to meditate on the 12 promises of the sacred heart of Jesus. I encourage you not just to read this book, but to pray this book and to share this book with others. This is a special moment uh, for our family today with my sister Emily and I speaking. My mom and dad join us via live stream. I need to give a shout out to them. Uh, My dad's recently had back surgery. He's recovering well. Uh, Pray for his continued recovery. But as we as I think about this day, uh, this unique Congress, this will be the, the only one I know where there will be the, the brother-sister combo on the speakers. Um, 
I want to, this all really began, as far as I'm concerned, in the basement of a very nondescript house at the end of a cul-de-sac in Cincinnati when my grandfather retired from the Ford Motor Company working third shift and went to work in his basement converting his workbench and his workbench is smaller than some closets that I've seen was smaller into a factory of plaques of the Sacred Heart and he literally made thousands of plaques that went all over the world, including to Calcutta, India, and the home of Mother Teresa and home for the dying. The reason I share that story is because each of us can do something. And when he retired at Ford Motor Company, he had no idea that that decision would help influence an annual Sacred Heart Congress. But it was that witness that influenced my parents working with Father Stosh and so many other wonderful lay faithful that brought about this moment. He could never have given a talk up in front of a group of people. That wasn't his gift. Each of us has different gifts. I encourage you to use your gifts, to recognize your opportunities, to not put limits on what God can do through you. Each of us has a part in the building up of the kingdom. There was such a joy here today. And as I was thinking about that joy, these are challenging times. And I said to to somebody as I saw them, it's so great to be here. And you know, we're all feeling that weight. It was like, yes, these are challenging times. But I think about the joy that we're experiencing here. This is the joy of Jesus. This is the joy of experiencing the divine solution to every human problem. And that divine solution is the person of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the Sacred Heart devotion is the person of Jesus Christ. And He is the divine solution to every human problem. And yes, this has been a very challenging year. And may continue to be so. The year's not over. But my question to you is, are you convinced that Jesus is the divine answer? Are we convinced? And if we're not convinced... I shudder to think what it's going to take. Are we convinced? I think we are. And that's part of our joy. That's part of the joy of this moment because we see this 2020 has revealed many things. But we can all agree it's revealed that humanity needs a Savior. And we thank God that we know who that Savior is. And so today we find ourselves at the heart of the divine solution to every human problem. When I arrived here as the pastor in July of 2019, I was struck by the beauty of our church. And if you haven't had time, sometime when, there's, when we're open during the day, just come and pray and wander around and look at all of the images of the saints. And I also wanted to have a mission statement, something that would focus us. And I prayed about that mission statement, thought about it, what is it going to include? And ultimately, I found the mission statement in the beauty and the splendor of this church, which I'm so grateful for my predecessor, Father Charlie Klinger, and all of the parish that worked with him to build this. I found the mission statement inscribed in the art and the architecture. It is very simply inspired by St. Paul, centered on Christ, called to holiness. 
That is our mission here at St. Paul the Apostle Parish. And in some level, that's all of our missions. To be inspired by the St. Paul. What a great patron to have. And if we're inspired by St. Paul, we're going to be centered on Christ and we're going to more deeply embrace our call to holiness. I found the mission in our mural. There's St. Paul next to the crucified Lord, holding the sword, the sword of the Spirit, a symbol of the Word of God, a symbol of the instrument of his martyrdom. But in the church of St. Paul, we notice St. Paul is not at the center of the church. He's off to the side. In the church of St. Paul, appropriately, Christ is at the center because Christ was at the center of St. Paul's life. It was St. Paul who said in his letter to the Philippians, For to me, life is Christ. You can't get any more centered on Christ than to say, Life is Christ. It was St. Paul who said in his, his letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. St. Paul, centered on Christ, could say, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's our call. To be able to say the same words of St. Paul, it is no longer I who live, the selfish I, the self-centered I. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. St. Paul, as he introduced himself to the Church of Rome in his letter to the Romans, says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. You can't get any more centered on Christ than to be a slave of Christ Jesus. That is our call, to enter into that holy, voluntary slavery of Christ Jesus. And then as he writes to the church in Rome, he, call, he reminds them that they are called to holiness. He says, to all the beloved of God in Rome, called to be holy. And St. Paul addresses those words to us, all of us, called to be holy. Inspired by St. Paul, we are called to be centered on Christ. Our faith is Christ centered. And as we are centered on Christ, we will embrace more deeply our call to holiness. One of the many things I love about our church is over the back door as you lead out of the church, we see the image of Pope St. John Paul, John the 23rd, who instituted and called the Second Vatican Council. And that seems to me the interpretive key to unlocking this church. Because we find here a proclamation of the universal call to holiness. All these saints that surround our church are meant to remind us that we are called to be saints. In the Vatican document, Lumen Gentium, on the church, in paragraph 40, we hear that universal call to holiness that the church hesitated to teach. It was always there. But it took almost 2,000 years to get for the Holy Spirit to lead us to the point to say these words so clearly it begins, The Lord Jesus, the divine teacher and model of, perfect, of all perfection, preached holiness of life to each and every one of his disciples of every condition. And then we hear later on in the paragraph, Thus it is evident to everyone that all the faithful of Christ, of whatever rank or status, are called to the fullness of the Christian life, and to the perfection of charity. This beautiful universal call to holiness that we share. 
It continues to help us get a sense of what is that holiness. In order that the faithful may reach this perfection, they must use their strength accordingly as they have received it as a gift from Christ. They must follow in His footsteps and conform themselves to His image, seeking the will of the Father in all things. They must devote themselves with all their being to the glory of God and the the service of their neighbor. In this way, the holiness of the people of God will grow into an abundant harvest of good, as is admirably shown by the life of so many saints in church history. I want to spend some time on this universal call to holiness because, yes, this is a difficult year. And yes, we are experiencing, many of us are, are, are experiencing and perhaps even overwhelmed at times by the, by the darkness that we see. And we can fight discouragement. And we can, through the internet, list off multiple things that, that, that can cause us to be concerned. But the problem is that if we are so concerned by what's wrong in the world that all we are is concerned with what's wrong in the world, then God will not be able to use us in any way to bring about what needs to be right in the world. The only proper response to evil is embracing our call to holiness. So I like to say that, yes, we need to be aware of the reality of evil, but I like to have evil in my peripheral vision. I'm aware that it's there, but I don't want to focus on it. Because the letter to the Hebrews says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And the truth is that there's a great temptation to be so focused on the darkness that we seek to be focused on the person of Jesus. And if we're so focused on the darkness and we're ceasing to be focused on the person of Jesus, then we are incapable of bringing his light into the world. And so today, my hope is that each of us, if those dark clouds have have gathered too much space in our heart and in our mind, in our conversation, that, that the light of Christ could dispel the darkness once again in our life in new ways. And then if we see real challenges in the world and in the church, and if there are things that are bothering us, that our response would simply be more deeply embracing our call to holiness, and every other response in our life would flow from that called to holiness. And so today we're here at the Sacred Heart Congress, and one of the ways that we can be centered on Christ is the Sacred Heart devotion. It is such a privileged and grace-filled devotion. And I'm so grateful uh, to have this here at St. Paul. We've all gone through a journey together. In the darkness of the COVID quarantine, I found myself erasing my all the events on my calendar, canceled, erased, canceled, erased, canceled, erased. And for the first time, I saw something I hadn't seen in 16 years as a priest, since maybe the first week of my ordination. I saw a blank calendar. It's like, what are we going to do? And by the grace of God and the influence of such great parishioners, it was clear to me we needed to pray. And so we live-streamed the 8.30 Mass, and we live-streamed the chaplet at 3, and we live-streamed the rosary at 7. Prayer needs to be our answer. And on Divine Mercy Sunday, I had the privilege of leading our parish to be enthroned to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. These two devotions are, are very similar. They flow from the same source, the heart, the merciful heart of Jesus. 
And many of our families did the home enthronement to the Sacred Heart. And let me just take a moment to say that one of the goals of the Sacred Heart Congress is that you make the decision to enthrone your home to the Sacred Heart. If you haven't made that decision, we heartily encourage you to do so. And if you have enthroned your home, that you embrace more deeply what that means. That Jesus would be the king of your home in every aspect of your life. The Welcome His Heart website cannot make it any easier to enthrone your home to the Sacred Heart. So we continued with this journey of the Sacred Heart. And of course, if Jesus is our king, then Mary needs to be our queen. And so on the weekend of the queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary, August 22nd and 23rd, we consecrated our parish to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. As you see in our mural, Our Lady is to the right of our Lord, our left. In the Jewish tradition, the Queen Mother had the place of honor in the kingdom, and she sat at the right of her son, the king. And so our Lord Jesus, as a good king, has this place of honor for his mother, the Queen Mother in his kingdom. And so if we enthrone Jesus as our king, she has to be our queen. And by the grace of God, we had two beautiful images in our parish. We had a beautiful spot, empty spot in our back wall. And so the Sacred Heart image and the Immaculate Heart image in our church now are a testimony that Jesus is our King, Mary is our Queen. And we've begun a nine-month novena to the Sacred Heart, starting in September and ending in May, to lead us to June, to the month of the Sacred Heart. And let me say that this sense of time is so incredibly important. Whoever controls the calendar controls the culture. You all know what June has become in our culture. We have to reclaim June. June is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so I encourage you to let June be the month of his heart. We began this this nine-month novena, and we began praying this prayer to the Sacred Heart, which I may get to during my talk. We'll see. (laughs) I'm running out of time. I joked beforehand, I, I told the conference organizers, one thing that I know, being the son of Chuck Wilson, is I cannot go over time. If you know my dad, he's an organizer. So we started to pray this prayer at the end of every Mass. It was something I also had the opportunity to do when I had the privilege and honor of being the pastor of Blessed Sacrament in Newark, to pray this prayer for nine months. We're also focusing in our PSR and our school on the Sacred Heart. So the first day of school I went in, to try to see all the kids and talk about the year to the Sacred Heart and talk about how every month we're focusing on a different virtue of the heart of Jesus because, of course, if we're focused on the heart of Jesus, then our hearts need to resemble His heart, which means we need to have His virtues. And so every month over the nine months, the children are focusing on a different virtue of the heart of Jesus so that our hearts can become more like His. And then I found myself in the kindergarten room trying to explain a year devoted to the Sacred Heart to kindergartners on their first day of school. And I realized that my explanation to the sixth graders was just not going to work. So I was like, how do I say something that a kindergartner will understand about the Sacred Heart? But I will tell, as I'm sure all of you know, if you, if you, if it doesn't make, if you can't make it make sense to a kindergartner, then you don't understand the topic. 
Because kindergartners have a way of just forcing us to get to the essence of a thing. And so, as I stumbled to try to explain it, nine words eventually, I centered on nine words. Receive his love, return his love, share his love. I would say if I were to distill the Sacred Heart devotion to its essence, to the ability to communicate that to a kindergartner, it's those, those nine words. Receive his love, return his love, share his love. The scriptures say we cannot love until we are loved. So first we have to receive his love. Receive his personal love for us. That requires a decision. He stands at the door and he knocks. And then we have to return his love. The Sacred Heart devotion, he's made himself vulnerable in his heart. That's kind of unsettling. But it's true, the eternal Son of God has embraced our humanity and has made himself vulnerable, able to be wounded. True God and true man. Return his love. He desires a real relationship. Visit him in the tabernacle. Visit him. And then share his love. Of course, if we're not sharing his love, then our devotion is very incomplete. So that's been our focus for this year then, during these nine months. To receive his love, to return his love, and to share his love. So I just want to take a little bit of time and meditate on this beautiful prayer to the Sacred Heart. This prayer that also is in some sense a gift through my amazing family uh, and my great-uncle Bud, who shared this prayer with us. It begins, O most holy heart of Jesus. And so we, the devotion encourages us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I can't wait for someone to ask me, it hasn't happened yet as a priest, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because when they do, I'm going to say, yes, I have a devotion to a sacred heart. So sometimes we, we don't know what to say. A personal relationship with Jesus is at the heart of our faith. To know Him, to speak to Him. O oh, most holy heart of Jesus. And the biblical notion of a heart is the, is, is the depth of one's being. And so the heart, of course, God is love. This devotion is all about love. O oh, most holy heart of Jesus, fountain of every blessing. We pray in the litany to the sacred heart, fountain of life and holiness. And so we have this invitation, fountain of every blessing, fountain of everything that is good. And we're invited to start to see the good things in our life as originating from the heart of Jesus. And immediately we pray, I adore you. Which puts us in proper relationship. Jesus is God. When we pray this prayer, we are immediately in the relationship of creator before our of creature before our creator. Acknowledging him as God. Worshipping him as God. And then we say, I love you. And the truth is, we can only say, I love you, because he has first loved us. As the first letter of St. John says in chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And so that love of him is a response to his love of us. And then we say, and with a lively sorrow for my sins. 
immediately as we think about that, with a lively sorrow for my sins. We're in the presence of God. And we're immediately aware of our unworthiness. Just like St. Peter, after that miraculous catch of fish, which preceded him leaving everything to follow Jesus. Peter, when he saw the catch of fish, we read in the Gospel of St. Luke, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When he was in the presence of Jesus and understood his divinity, all Peter could say is, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And when we're in the presence of our Lord authentically, there's a part of us that has to say, with a lively sorrow for my sins, with an awareness that I am a sinful person. And what do we do? I offer you this poor heart of mine. We're invited to embrace the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if we're honest, it's difficult for us as Americans to be poor. Our culture prides itself on being self-reliant, the self-made man, the self-made person. We have phrases like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and slogans, just do it. We are a self-reliant culture. And yet to enter into discipleship, we have to recognize our poverty. I offer you this poor heart of mine. I offer you what I can, Lord. And I simultaneously acknowledge my poverty. We pray, make me humble, patient, pure, and wholly obedient to your will. I love this part of the prayer because what we are asking is that the Lord make our hearts like his heart. Recall that gospel passage, Come to me, all you who are labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. And so when we pray, make me humble, patient, pure, and wholly obedient to your will, we're recognizing that Jesus' heart is humble and patient and pure and wholly obedient to the Father's will. That beautiful prayer associated with the Sacred Heart devotion, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. The heart of the Sacred Heart devotion is that our hearts become more like his heart. Make my heart like unto thine. And that's what we're praying when we pray. Make me humble, patient, pure, and wholly obedient to your will. We're praying that we would be able to live the very life of Jesus Christ. As St. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that we'll be able to say with St. Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Grant, good Jesus, that I may live in you and for you. Recall that beautiful line from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And so when we pray, grant good Jesus that I may live in you, we're praying, may I live in you so that in you, you might strengthen me to do all things. You who strengthen me. And for you. One of the great gifts of our faith is purpose. How many people are just simply existing and not living? In Christ, we have discovered the very purpose of our lives, that we can live for Him, and then through Him, for the Father, in the Holy Spirit, to be caught up in the great life of the Holy Trinity. This is part of the good news in a culture that struggles with any meaningful purpose. 
to discover that we have discovered the very purpose of life in living for Christ. We pray, protect me in the midst of danger, comfort me in my afflictions. And certainly this year of 2020 has, at different moments, given us all an opportunity to pray that prayer with new meaning. Give me health of body, assistance in my temporal needs, your blessings in all that I do. Again, that we can turn to the Lord in daily life and in all of our trials. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go our way because we enthroned our business or our home to the Sacred Heart. But what it does mean is that we're going to discover the strength, the wisdom that we need to endure all things, to to persevere in all things, and to allow his love to conquer all things. And it concludes in the grace of a holy death. And that just reminds us, especially during this month of November, the powerful and important necessary meditation on our own mortality. That in recalling our death, it focuses us on how we're called to live. Are we living our priorities? Or are our priorities false? Will the things that matter to us now matter on our deathbed as we look back on this moment in our life? A holy death that we resolve to always remain in sanctifying grace, not tolerating any serious sin in our life. Always ready for that day or that hour. Always going to confession when necessary, never putting off our conversion for tomorrow when we can embrace it more deeply today. What a joy to be with you today. And yes, this challenging year, but again, we celebrate with great joy that in Christ, in his most sacred heart, we truly have found the divine solution to every human problem.